Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. One of my favorite things about getting to talk to so many successful men on this show is the uniqueness in their individual approaches to their field. What's even cooler than that is when I get to notice the characteristics and traits that are really similar across many of their stories. Arguably the most common among these is this innate drive and focus that my guest today, Matt Ward, used in a phrase that punched me in the face when he said it, all or nothing. Matt is a chiropractic doctor, backcountry hunter, outdoorsman, fitness enthusiast, podcast host, although I'm sure I'm forgetting something in there somewhere. With all these pursuits being rather time intensive, it's hard to imagine how you can really be all or nothing. But what I've come to realize is that this phrase doesn't always mean at the expense of everything else. That is just the level of focus and attention to detail brought to each endeavor. This was a really great conversation, catching up with my friend Matt, and we were able to cover a lot of good ground about the lessons he's learned on how to be successful in the mountains and in fitness. Enjoy this episode of the Nomad Strength Show with Matt Ward. dictionary at Scrabble if some guy throws down conversate Com- in a straight face. We're, we're going to conversate. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not even a Canadianism. That's just a straight up, straight up BS word. It's a Mattism. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. 100%. Uh, all right, well, we're live. We're recording now. I'm here with my bud, Matt Ward. Uh, we met at Winter Strong last year. I can't believe it's already been as long as it has been. Like, we're coming up on almost it happening again. Like, we're almost to it's- Winter Strong 5. And it's crazy yeah, that we're I'm already like there. Looking at flights. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at flights, waiting for the invites. You know, you're like, it's because it's not to get to the southeast from the Pacific Northwest of Canada is uh, is not easy. Well, and it has nothing I mean, to but do. it's easier now than it even has been before. I don't know what, like a couple months ago. Like I can't imagine the nightmare right. it was for the previous time before that. The last time, yeah, it was. Um, 
yeah, it was actually one of those things. It's actually a decent story. Um, so even 10 years ago to get from, just call it, just say Vancouver to uh, Atlanta is always a couple layovers. You're looking at right. short flights, short layover, 12 to 15 hour day of travel. Yeah. Like it's just, it's brutal. But obviously this last couple of years, things are a little different. And um, so in February, I'm going down and man, like I have a binder full of <laughs> like this piece of paper, this yes. piece of paper. And I'm like ready, you know, like yep. I have, I have had COVID um, and, and then you get like a six month window of a positive test where you can travel like untested. Right. And I was like, well, I'm going to take advantage of this. Yep. So you kind of are like, oh, here we go. And so I think I had like, <clears throat> I had me, I can't remember. I had some sort of a hunting shirt on. I can't remember what it was, maybe loophole or something. And I walk up to, you know, immigration at, at the Calgary airport and this guy pretty, you know, square jawed, pretty fit looking dude. And, uh, where are you going? I'm like, oh my God, I'm heading to South Carolina. What are you doing there? So I'm going to this, uh, this event called Winter Strong hosted by Sornex. And he looks at me and he's like, are you Wardo from Beyond the Kill? And I was like, oh, <laughs> nice. oh shit. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, sir, I am. And uh, and he's like, oh, cool. And, you know, pretty straight face. He's like, oh, I, I, yeah, Sornex stuff's really great equipment, so on and so forth. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome stuff. And then I literally have all my papers. Like, I'm ready to rock and roll. And he's like, yeah, you're good. And I was like, oh, damn it. Like, couldn't you <laughs> all just... All that work. I haven't left the country for yeah. years now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just humor me and go through all just, of this. <laughs> could you please... Let, but you know, you're like, actually, yes, sir. Right away, sir. Thank right. you very much, sir. And, and away you go. But yeah, I, I can't wait to, to get back down there this year. And, and hopefully, I'm going to try and tie it in with uh, the guys from... Another, another tie-in from, from Winter Strong, uh, like Ben uh, from Vector Arrows. Isaac and I, the owner yeah. of the company, become good buds. Nice. And uh, he's talking about doing a little hog hunting in uh, in Dallas there. So if I can tie those two together, um, that would be hog hunting with the bow would be a, a, a as obviously like we have uh, a lot of amazing options here to hunt in yeah. BC. It's stone stone sheep, goat, elk, bear, like all the time, right? Yep. Not all the time, but you know, over the counter tags if you want to put the work in. And uh, and like on my bucket list is like to hunt to hunt pigs with a bow, which people are like, it's like a pest. Like, what are you talking <laughs> right. about? So that's I don't know. awesome, it's, dude. It's different. It's you always want what you can't do, right? Well, that's the thing with I, I'm realizing now because being in the hunting realm in in the recent part of my life, because I I've said many times I'm an adult onset hunter, right? Like, Me too, I, man. Me too. So I mean, I was early 20s like early mid 20s when I picked it up right and so I didn't have like the childhood experiences of hunting I fished and did steelhead fishing on uh on the salmon river and stuff in northern Idaho like did all that since the time I was 10 years old but like right. the, hunt, the hunting thing I, I wasn't ever a part of and so like I'm realizing all of these different pockets of like hunting clicks that exist right and and whether it's the the animal that you hunt like has its own like community around it or 100%. it's like what weapon you hunt with and then within that like what brand of what weapon you hunt with has its own <laughs> like there's it's it's the same with everything you've got all of these little clicks about everything and uh yeah i'm and one of my favorite questions to ask like the people that are in the community is like well what's the you know what's like your all-time dream hunt like one that you haven't had the opportunity right. yet like what and it's always like i've never had somebody like even if they live in the coolest place where everybody else who gets asked that question would pick where they live to hunt what they hunt as their all-time dream hunt, those people never pick that. 
it's always the thing that's not what they're doing. Like it's somewhere yeah. else. And so like, yeah. like I can't, yeah. t- I can't tell you how many guys like myself included, like going up in either Canada or, or even parts of North Idaho to do like bighorn sheep is like my right. all time, like yeah. dream hunt to do. But then I talked to you guys, I was like bighorn. And you're like, I no, I want to go hunt hogs in Texas. Like, you know, like, are so you kidding ridiculous. me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's, it's just so, it's so crazy. You know, you're, I think you're also, especially if you're, uh, I almost chase the adventure more than I chase anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and I've said yeah, that totally. multiple times. I've, I've become uh, pretty sick with the, with the bucket list adventure hunts. And, Hence, I don't hunt a lot around home, even though literally, except till this year, I hunted elk pretty hard around here. Um, Like in 25 minutes, I'm hunting, like right from my door. And, uh, you know, and I live in a city uh, of a couple hundred thousand people, so it's it's pretty sick. Um, But at that same time, like I chase the experience and like, you know, I think the experience of hunting hogs in Texas would be pretty, pretty wild, especially with the the novelty of it too. It's like, I'm, you know, totally. Because I had the same thing living in Idaho. You have friends that, you know, a good majority of my friends, especially like the guys that are the Sornex crew, they're all out in the in the south, you know. Yeah. So like it's it's whitetail, it's turkey, it's like that kind of yeah. stuff. And they're like, oh man, I just want to come out west and hunt elk in September and like do all this stuff. And I'm like, it's pretty awesome. I'll give you that. But like, there's things that I want to, you know, I want to go do yeah. other stuff too. So it's just fun to like realize, especially. You know, I mean, but even coming from Canada, you know, we, we, we tend to take for granted the opportunities that we have in the States, but even, oh, yeah. even Canadian hunting opportunities now that, you know, travel is a little bit easier right. to get to there. Like right. there's amazing things up there to do, uh, oh, yeah. in, up, up North to, as far as opportunities to hunt. So hundred percent, y- you mentioned that you also are, you know, the self, the self-titled adult onset hunter. How did that yeah. start for you? Like, where was that entry point yeah. for you into the world? Yeah, cool, cool. Good question, man. I um, I spent like my my life. I grew up on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. A lot of people will know like Tofino uh, as the place, and I grew mm-hmm. up surfing, uh, mountain biking. Got to be uh, you know a pretty good dirtbag mountain biker, free bike sponsorship kind of level, and then you know realized you're not going to make it on the World Cup scene because you suck, and uh, it's not going <laughs> to pay the bills. So kind of you know that right. that, that pipe that pipe dream dies and. Uh, and then, you know, just spent so much time in the mountains, whether it was, and then working, I was, you know, logging at a younger age and then spent time forest firefighting, ski touring and doing all of these outdoor rock climbing, all of these mm. outdoor activities that were in my backyard all the time. Like we would, it'd be pretty cool to like mountain bike, surf and golf in the same day on in Vancouver <laughs> yeah. Island. Like, you know, so we would do that, try and do that like once a year when we got our licenses and shit and and it was pretty cool. And then I was at school and then I, I became quite fascinated with cooking. Um, and that was probably the biggest foray into it. Now you know, yeah. looking for different ingredients and so on and so forth. And some, some exposure to hunting growing up, but not, not much. Neither of my parents did it, but my like best friend growing up, his dad, they're like died in the wool hunters. He shot his first grouse at like four. That's Jesse Dorman. And, uh, and then from there I kind of, moved to school and school was the big thing. And, and I ran track at UBC, did my kinesiology degree, strength and conditioning, and then moved into Cairo school. And when I was in Portland was kind of like, I'd made this decision. This is going to sound familiar to people, but I was like, man, the more, you know, about factory farming, the, the less, uh, you know, attractive it is to eat cert- a certain way. So I was like, well, yeah. I'm going to, and I'm too, po- I'm like 
back then I, I thought I was like too poor to afford uh, cattle, like cattle yeah. ranch, like a cattle high ranch quality meat, stuff, high yep. quality stuff, which is not the case. It's actually right. like up here now it's actually cheaper. So, yeah. which I'll tie in later, but, um, you know, it was kind of this thing where I was like, man, I really want to do this sidebar to how I became involved with the journal of mountain hunting. Um, yeah. was, I started, we started this thing called mountain strong, which essentially was like the, the basis, like where a lot of people will now know the company mountain tough. And yeah. we, we were kind of one of the first players in that space. And we honestly just didn't commit to it enough. I was at school, everybody else had other jobs and we didn't commit to it super hard, but we sure. were basically trying trying to, you know, I was doing some training for the backcountry athlete, bringing my examples from strength and conditioning, but also like a lot of time spent in the backcountry. How can you bring that forward? Yeah. Then it didn't, it didn't quite, it was a little before it's time and we didn't push it super hard. And then Adam Yonke from, you know, the founder of, of Journal of Mountain Hunting now, Beyond the Kill, we just changed the name to the cover the same as the podcast. And mm-hmm. he was like, when you move up here, because I was moving to Kelowna, British Columbia, where he lives. And, and uh, he's like, when you move up here, man, he's like, do you want to, he's like, we're obviously going to get hunting. I said, oh, I'm just itching. I went to sheep show a couple times and mm-hmm. I didn't even fall in love with like kind of your starter pack of hunting, like truck hunt, spike, spike deer. Sure. Or dough and like, yeah, you know, it was like, yep. well, let's do 14 days in the steepest terrain BC has to offer backpacking for oh elk gosh. with the bow. Like that was the, that was the kickoff. And that's the film beyond the kill. Um, <clears throat> I didn't realize that episode. was your very, I didn't realize that was your very first. It's my first hunt ever, ever. Backpacking that's crazy dude. In the West Coots. So that was like the sickness but I'd already had that, like I enjoy that punishment, hence being like yeah. a middle distance runner. You just enjoy ah. constant, constant vomiting basically. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it kind of spawned from there into like the next year I went up north. First animal I, I took was a, was a bear. Second one was a, a book goat from 500 yards, you know, like still That's hadn't awesome. killed a deer. <laughs> That's so, so cool. Yeah, it was just crazy. So that was kind of the foray, but I just fell in love with the, the adventure and then really what I fell in love with was the, like the camaraderie of the trip. I think right. that, and it's taken me a little bit to realize that, but like the people you meet along the way are, they're what almost make it, you know, and then mm-hmm. the rest of it's something. And then obviously putting the, putting the stock on an animal, whether it's with the bow uh, or, or a rifle or something like that and, and, and getting it done and the, the hoots and the haulers and the cheers and the meat on mm-hmm. the table is all great. But, the stories that that come around i've i've realized when you're sitting around a fire later on it's it's rarely it's almost the people that are telling it from their point of view if they're watching you stalk and and all that stuff oh, it's rarely yeah. about the killing it's way more about the about the trip and the time and the even the truck ride there or the truck ride home or the float plane in or the float plane out you're just like man there's so much cool yeah. shit that happens that i just want to i'm i'm just keep searching and scratching for cooler and cooler and cooler opportunities. So that's kind of my long-winded version of how I came into hunting and came well, when into you just think, mountain hunting. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you think about like that first experience being that intense of a hunt, like for, for sure. opening one, I mean, I'm, I, and this is maybe where my headspace would have been having that been invited to be my first experience. I'm like, I don't think I'd 
am ready for that. You know, like, was there any of that with you or do you're just like, I don't really have a choice. I'm just going to go do it and see what happens kind of a thing. You know, man, like I'm, uh, I kind of knew I was doing it probably, uh, eight ish months before it happened. So my, my fitness, I knew wasn't going to be a problem. I was just right. training hard, um, lots of endurance background, and then just change it, lose a couple pounds, and and mm-hmm. I knew that was going to be fine. And then some training hikes in the area to go up and do some spotting and stuff. I was like, ah, I'll be okay. What really starts to kind of wear on you is like, how good are you at day ten? Because it's right. way less about the fitness and way more about what you got between the years. And that's where you definitely draw on these like past experiences of pain and suffering which, you know, the things that I enjoy doing seem to, you know, deal in spades. When you can draw on those situations and still have a smile on your face and around guys, you're cracking jokes and one guy's hurting and he's in a bit of a poopy mood and, and you know, and, and everybody just rallies around it and kind of like gives them the gears and put, until you just start laughing, right? And it's, uh, right. and you know, and, and so I think that was kind of the big thing was, and the worst thing i the thing that i fear the most in, on any trip is to be the is to be the guy holding the group back so sure when i got that was the first time i shot a compound bow as well and it was going to be a bow hunt um and so i mean i was just like reps 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 yeah. no idea no idea what i'm doing i'm just like focusing on how to consistently group something and then obviously right. just try and I don't lift. know why it's working but it's working I'm just going to keep doing that <laughs> it's it's almost worse like I have like a I have a pretty hefty golf background too and and I find golf and boat and archery are are so similar yeah it's, actually I get, I get that now oh man like it's it's so technical and you can be like doing everything right and then one is just like off paper and you're like <laughs> like how did that happen like, what and you just have happen? to forget about it it's out of your mind and you, yeah. you know, you, and boom, you're right back into to the zone and you find your, your anchors and your technique and your feels and, and boom, you start punching arrows again. And I think like I kind of, I took that, I took that approach to, to archery and, um, and I had all the confidence in the world and, and I was, if I could get a, a shot and I was like limiting myself, I was like under 40. Like I was like, if it's 45, I don't care. You know, obviously sure. I didn't, I didn't have that opportunity so I can say this and, and not be right. like 80 yards. Let's, let's see what it does. But I was, <laughs> right. I was really confident in the areas we were hunting to are so tight, uh, steep and tight and tree that you're just, you're probably not going to get this like 70 yard shot. Like it just isn't sure. the, the way it was going to work. So I, I think I just was kind of more or less like, yeah, you know, like, as long as I can take care of the things I can take care of, my fitness, my attitude, my mental game, then we'll let the chips fall where they may. And if I, you know, like don't, I hope I'm confident enough that if I don't feel comfortable in a shot, shot with a shot, it's, uh, it's on me to say it and you don't make a, you don't make an error. Right. And, um, it's definitely tough for the first time you're, you're, I've had a camera in my face for a few hunts. Um, and it, it changes the, it changes the narrative of it a little bit in your mind, right? You feel extra pressure um, right. to try and produce, but um, but yeah, it, it didn't end up happening on that hunt. We got absolutely crippled with luck and weather, but it is. But that's it kind is. of a cool experience for that to have been like your first hunt, and then have it been a a big 
like film production, right? Too, because oh yeah, just from just from a chance of like being able to go back and watch and be like, wow, this is where this is where it all started. Yes, and and then look at the then and now kind of experience of it and be like, this is how much I've grown, this is how much I understand. But it's really cool to be able to have this to look back on, like because I mean we have memories and hunting stories and that's kind of its own thing. Right. But like yeah. to actually have the visual done in a really cool way, that's gotta be kind of a cool thing to have. It's amazing. It's uh, I feel like, I mean, you could throw any adjective in here, blessed, fortunate horseshoes up, you know, where doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's, I feel I'm very fortunate to have learned um, how to hunt, how I would say how to hunt the right way. Um, and the amount of conservation that comes along with hunting and so on and so forth. Like, I mean, my hunting mentors are, are people who've done it for a long time and they're hunting guides or, you know, like one of my best friends, Ben Storak, um, he's, uh, he's been a sheep guide for like 15 years. He's only 33. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He owns his own, um, he owns his own outfit called Arcadia outfitting. That's where we did our, the second film Wind in the wolves, um, which was amazing. And, this year, like talking about full circle, like I, I've learned enough from back then knowing nothing, like absolutely nothing to this year, Ben asked me to help him on a, a Cali bighorn hunt. And we, uh, we connected on a, on a, a, a beautiful mature ram that was uh, probably going to die that year anyway. So that's like the full circle of like, from doing some Cali bighorn guiding from elk hunting and never hunting in a three year span. Right. So that's so um, cool. Yeah, man, it's, I feel so incredibly, I feel a couple different things. I feel very fortunate and lucky, but I feel also a, like ignorance is truly bliss and because yeah. of like the, the, the conservation issues and BC's in a bit of a weird spot right now with hunting anyways. And, and that you can start to realize and recognize how poor a job we do on conservation up here. Um, because which just, which is really like surprising a, to me. Just, I mean, being right. in like literally in the immediate proximity of what is the standard for conservation, you know, globally when it comes to wildlife and that kind of, you know, like it's, it's crazy that like, there's not more that's rubbed off on how you guys do it. Having sharing literally the same forests and mountain ranges in, in parts of it. Like you would think that even if it's not the exact same, there would be aspects of how things are run that would allow it to bleed where they're literally sharing mountain ranges. You know what I mean? We are just literally, it's because we have so much space with so little population right? that people just don't care. Like, they're just yeah. like, of course, there's animals everywhere. And the, and the fact of the, and, the, and it's quite right, like there is a lot, but there's also, you know, like we are trying to push further and further into those habitats and, and, and we're, we're changing that a little bit and, and there's not enough, the conservation effort up here is just not, has not, it's it's seen as like unnecessary by our government and thus it's like the budget that's hacked the first, like our conservation officers up here are overworked, underpaid by a country mile, especially in 2022, what it costs to just be live in British Columbia. Like they make basically, they make not, they make nothing right for the job that they have to deal with. And then, and then, you know, and then all sorts of just kind of backhanded dealings for, for, oil and gas and and all sorts of different stuff to all right well we'll yeah. just like close this we'll close this down to hunters because uh you know that's just uh you guys want to go in there and do more do, do more like uh do more mining work and then we'll say it's because of this and it's well it right. isn't 
So it's a, it's a sad state. So, and, and, you know, when I talk to my buddies who have been hunting for, for 10 years, they don't know anything about that stuff. And I've been doing it for, for, you know, a hot minute and they're like, Oh, I, just, I didn't even know anything about that. And I'm just like, Oh man, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, like, it's, it, and in BC specifically, that seems to be, and, in, and maybe this is also my ignorance in, in recent years of just being aware of a lot of this stuff from a conservation standpoint, even in the States and the things that are b- trying to be pushed through in different States here. Right. Um, but BC always seems to be the one that every time there's something coming out of Canada, trying to cancel a hunting season with it's the grizzly deal that went down or yep. like anything else. It's like, it's always coming out of BC. It seems, uh, yep. which is, which I mean, yep. like that's just one of those things that just, I, if it's just a matter of bad policy and like bad, people for the job like that's really a bummer that it could essentially ruin it for generations Everyone. yeah, it, yeah. And, and for a long time like yeah you know it seems like some of that stuff might not be able to be undone no. if some of the things get through you know what i mean which that's yeah. ultimately the biggest bummer because whether it's nefarious or not like it, it'll be too late by the time anybody realizes it if that's not the goal already you know yeah there's um I mean, it's so funny, right? Coming as like a relative outsider into this into this space, there's this there's this group called Raincoast, and they essentially try and buy hunting outfits and then close them down. Like, um, and and the hard part sometimes is is that hunters, for whatever reason, you know, have their own personal personal debacles and and you know pissing contests and and whatever and maybe they don't like each other for whatever reason um but to be honest we need to get we need to you know like we need all see we don't need to be best friends but we really need to unite as a as a front and not let group like like groups like that take away that 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 sort of that that industry and just because they'll be able to buy it and they got some deep pockets um yeah buy it and then turn it into you know close that hunting hunting opportunity down right so it's it's really a shame and i think it's something that people are hopefully going to realize sooner rather than later is that there's a a lot more of us have a lot more in common than people think if you can just get past what you know whether you use kind of you're saying like these little clicky groups like whether you use a bow or a gun or you're a you know, you're just out there to put meat on the table or you're a trophy hunter or whatever. Right. We're all out there to hopefully enjoy the same things and do the same stuff. So if we want to keep doing this for generations to come, we better we better get our shit together here. And uh, and I think that's coming sooner rather than later. So it's a big... That's why I'm really encouraged by, by like, Robbie yes. from Blood Origins Dude, and, and Charles and, and, and with Charles Howl. Charles with Howl. Like, they were huge. Yeah, it's... In, amazing stuff that they're doing and that's like the, that's the kind of stuff that's actually leading to yes. things being done yes because and this is when I, I had charles on the podcast a month or so ago and yeah one of the things he had said he's like the thing that we're lacking is j- just like what you said the organization yeah like everybody feels like we can all just you know say what we feel and shout it into a facebook group yeah but like what how is that actually affecting the policy change to a it's degree not. and so like things like what yeah things like what robbie and charles are doing that's actually where it matters and it can give a unified voice behind these causes and it's worked like yes many times over many times it's actually made a big difference yes. already and it's only been a few years that both of them have been doing what they're doing and i which even is think awesome. that really especially with charles man i mean that guy can just streamline the shit out of stuff like he's such an impressive human being and you know you're just the access that they they present to the people that matter 
Because the other yeah. thing that ends up happening is like if you're hardcore anti-hunting, like it's not that I don't have time for you in this world, but I don't have time for you with you've already made your decision up, like whether it's yeah, actual or not, completely. I'm not changing those minds. That's okay, right? Like, and you're, but you're such a, a, a minority that that's okay. But I'm also not interested in the, the the hardcore hunter who like just wants to like bash everything and start arguments with the hunting community. Like, there's this, there's way more people who are the uninformed right. consumer, and that's and then like the the newer people, like even us into hunting, which are new into this space yeah. and relatively and probably less biased than some, and you know. Those are the people that if you can get some education out there on on conservation and what we do and 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 whatever versus because the anti hunting groups are they don't play nice in the sandbox, man. Like they just make shit up. It's super easy to see, you know, like you know, to show Baloo the bear from the jungle book and then see a dead bear with a grip and grin picture and be like, This is the same. Yep. Like Disney's crippled it for us. Right. So Right. It's so easy, right? But in this case, like with guys like 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 Charles Robbie, I mean, they're just doing such a great job for for us to then try and help educate others on what's going on, right? Yeah. And then you get you get Robbie with this wicked education bullets, and then you have and, and podcast and stories and written work, and then you have awesome a uh, access to like the people that are making policy decisions. So like us yeah. as the hunting group can hopefully you know, make a, make a change at the policy level, um, and make our voice heard. And then also, uh, have people who are maybe non hunters. If they're like, Hey, this just doesn't seem right. Like you're making a policy that right. doesn't make any sense, which we've all seen a few of those yes. in recent years. And the same shit happens yes. all the time in government. So it, it's, it's, it's the, probably the best thing, best thing for us, you know? Well, and what I think is cool as a, as an opportunity is things like uh, that's why I love podcasting so much. First of all, is not only the ability to connect with people from all over the place, but what my favorite part of it is storytelling. Yes. Like telling actually compelling good stories that draw people in and connect with whoever's listening. Right. And that's on many instances on the people that share a lot of the same views as the hunting crowd. Right. Yes. That's what, they haven't had forever is the ability to like tell a good story and connect. And it's always just, how do we, how do we show numbers? And like, not that those aren't important, but when all you're doing is being the nerds, like you're not going to connect with a bunch of people on an emotional level. And it's not just about that. Right. Right. It's not just about the emotional part, but that is a big, I mean, that can be a very Huge. big motivating factor for people. And so like with what you guys do with beyond the kill and like all these other awesome uh, outlets that, you know, like with Renella and Meat Eater and like all of these guys that have the ability to tell really cool stories yeah. and do it in a way that's actually putting a positive light on the hunting community, but engaging yes. and like making people feel things like that is going to be way more effective at getting that like kind of middle wishy-washy crowd to like even be open to understanding. Yeah versus like I'm not trying to just persuade you with how this is going to benefit you fiscally 100% right yeah. like because it that's not always going to work with a lot of people but like if you can start to care about and see that the things that conservation has become with hunting and how important that is like make them feel it yes you know and that that's how you change everything forever yes you know what I'm 100% if you can tap into emotion right and what and and whatever the emotion is like you know Ever heard? Of, have you heard of the author, Gabrielle Wolf? Who that is? Gabby 
She's a. I'm sure I have. She's like a motor learning kind of specialist. Um, Okay. And do you know Nick Winkleman? I'm writing it down. Nick Winkleman's like one of the best cures of all time. He was part of Exos before it was Exos. It was athlete performance before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now the name rings. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in that, like, that's where I started to learn more about like cueing and how to cue and internal versus like, you know, intrinsic versus extrinsic cueing and so on and so forth. Right. Like if somebody doesn't understand what their femur is, don't say, bring your femur up, you know, like you want (laughs) to like, you know, make something else happen. Right. Or anyway, so all sorts of different things like that. But it was with Gabrielle Wolf's book and then Nick Winkleman's kind of learning and what he's done in his career, his great career that you kind of learn about, how humans learn and it's not just you know uh uh auditory visual kinesthetic it's emotion driven right and Mm -hmm. uh and that's a huge huge thing if you can tap into whatever it might end up being so um the same way goes for us i think about how can i get more people to make an informed decision about hunting and That is really going to be create content that has emotion attached to it, whether it's, you know, somebody who is needs to needs to lose a few pounds to help their health out for some longevity. And they are a a dyed in the wool kind of whitetail hunter from Wyoming and they need to lose a couple pounds and get some fitness back and get it under control. And they maybe draw this crazy good or they, they pay for whatever, uh, say a stone sheep hunt in, in Northern BC and the beyond the kill crew, we're like, well, we want fitness and if, and we want it access accessible to everybody. So that's why we run free workouts sure. off it. And if they use that, lose 20 or 30 pounds and then continue that journey and it was hunting, you know, there's like a compelling story there. Yep. Right. And I, it yes. doesn't just have to be, Hunting, there's nothing wrong with it, but hunting from the truck, uh, you know, you know, maybe one too many, one too many yeah. Bud Lattes down, and, uh, and, 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 <laughs> and, lattes. and and so it is. It can it can be used for good. Like I now, since kind of ending my competitive CrossFit days, I now basically just revolve my whole year around prepping for spending sixty. This year, I probably spent close to sixty, definitely over fifty days uh, in a one man tent in the field. And so my whole year is planned around probably being mountain ready for kind of three and a half, four months, June to middle of October for me. And and that's how I plan my year. And if somebody else digs into that and they lose some weight, they, you know, like stave off or or start to reverse that pre-diabetic thing because they fall in love with the pursuit of this, uh, the pursuit of this kind of passion and hobby then so be it i think there's something there for sure that that we need to just all get along get along with and tap into a bit right after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i first heard that mint mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month i thought what's the catch But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. 
For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Seriously. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And especially with, the, and I'm glad you started getting into the kind of the, the performance side of it, because that was one of the things I definitely wanted to go into with you because uh, I, I had known that you had done a little bit of competing in CrossFit stuff, but I, I didn't know like the scope of, of where that was. So first I want to start there. Cause like, where was the, how long ago was that? What period? Cause I love the story of the CrossFit games yes, and like where they started and where they've become and like what they are now. Yes. Right. And like what CrossFit originally started at, but I consider, uh, like the ultimate heyday of the CrossFit games was basically when everything was still in Carson. Yes. And after they, after they moved to Madison, yeah, after they moved to Madison and it was kind of its own thing after that because it became super corporate, right? Yeah. But like when everything was still in Carson and it was all those the OGs of the games that were still competing yes. all the time like Rich and Kalipa yeah. and Ben yeah. and yeah. Dan Bailey, all those guys. That was the most fun they ever were to watch, I think. And uh Yeah, you have and, to be a nerd of the so, sport to love it now. I totally. Think. And you had to have been plugged, I mean, and you had to have been plugged in fairly early to even want to have interest in watching people train. You know what I mean? Because, yes. like, it, it, we think about how big it is now. It seemed like it was big for the people that were watching. We're like, oh, we have these stadiums that are filled. Yes. And it's like, oh, but there's, but there's like 100,000 people watching it online forever. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing compared to yeah. a sporting event. No, no, numbers. for sure. So, first of all, I want to know, like, your your competitive journey in that sport. Where was, what, what time period was that in? And how did that all plan out for you, pan out for you? Yeah, this should probably give a, a good look into just kind of how I do everything. It's like, it's all or nothing. It's why I haven't picked up something like fly fishing, <laughs> because I don't think I have any time in my day to, like, or in my year. because or budget to spend on fly fishing stuff. Yeah, let's not even get into the financials. My fiance will probably listen to all this stuff anyway. So, it's, you know, um, yeah, 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 you do too many fly-in trips in a year. It's uh, at 15 days per trip. It's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying right. to. I'm trying to see a few extra patients here. And there, um, no. So, you know, with my kind of time in my kinesiology or what you guys usually call a sports science degree, that kind of butted into. Yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to do something in that training realm, and I was a CSEP CPT, which is like ACSM for you guys, and then got my CSCS and was doing this training and I went forest firefighting and I was a rappel forest firefighter and uh, which was super cool out of salmon arm. And one of the guys who kind of set that was like a very major player in that base, Jesse Buffano, who owns CrossFit Squamish, who's actually Justin Medeiros's strength coach. Um, he's a good close okay. personal friend of mine. And that's where like CrossFit was already kind of into the doctrine. So my first 
CrossFit workout. Think about my first hunting experience. My first I love CrossFit. Those stories. I love people's CrossFit workouts. My stories. first one was <laughs> PT. Like, so you signed up. So you in in Canada, in BC, you go, you apply, you do a fitness test, you do an interview, then you go to boot camp, and then from boot camp, if you get picked, right. you go to other other whether you're a unit crew up in Fort St. John or you're you're doing initial attack in Revelstoke or or whatever you're gonna do. So I went. My first choice was okay. rap attack because I'm a skinny little bastard. And you had to be under 170 pounds naked weight and, or 100, 170 pounds naked weight. And um, and basically when you get there, you did like a two-week long boot camp because you do a lot of – you rappel out of a helicopter. There's a lot that goes along with that. And right. our, our, we did PT every morning at 5 a.m. And the first one was Murph. Mile – <laughs> mile run which was no problem coming off middle distance track right. that was a piece of cake and i'm light the first mile is never the problem that's exactly it 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 air squats one mile run and i remember this up weight vest or no or did you have all the firefighting gear no on? nope just normal no no hero no okay. no that none of that stuff okay. had really happened yet and uh we were we were dumb later and did more of that but so I remember this guy, Tyson Hopkins, who I grew up with in Nanaimo. He was at Rap Attack, and he was a, a pretty good little CrossFitter at the time. And he was – he just starts – I could do a, a lot of good strict pull-ups. And he just starts swinging around this bar like an asshole. And I was like, <laughs> this is cheating. But I was like, but god damn, he's getting them done pretty quick. So my first foray was a cross – and then I just learned at that moment. I never learned how to kip. I learned how to just do butterfly pull-ups – like on the spot right away and uh yep. and then i kind of from there i kind of fell in love with it and there's probably no better way to really dial in and then i was lighter so i went into olympic lifting and competed in that then crossfit and so on and so forth and i just enjoyed i had a pretty uh i wasn't super i'm not not super big and and wasn't super strong so form was i it needed to be on point so i just kind of focused on that and then that actually propelled me into the career i'm in now but um it was a fire hose of movements that you then just started yeah. to realize that you could apply the same principles. Like you need a good hinge, you need a good squat, you need a good overhead position. Yep. And then you can apply that to different modalities. And then obviously the suffering from middle distance track and field. I mean, nothing's that bad. So that was really kind of where it started. So <laughs> dude, that was like, dude, you're speaking to a decathlete. Yeah, I'm completely aware of how bad yeah. the 800 yeah, is. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. So, I'll I'll say this because 800 is just brutally horrible. Oh, the worst, man. But I'm almost of the belief that the 400 hurdles are worse. Yes. Yes. There's... And they are because they are terrible. And, and unless you've <laughs> really raced a 400 hurdle, you don't know. Because it's like, mm -mm. oh, yeah, 400 is pretty painful. You're like, yeah. And 400s, yeah, 400s are terrible 400s in their are own way. For sure. But then you're like, you're like, it's only like eight hurdles. Like, how bad could that and be? It's infinitely worse. <laughs> so my races were 800 meters, 1500 meters, 400 hurdles, 3000 steeple. So there you go. just death. There you go. All death. And uh, yeah. <laughs> just miserable so, existence. Like, as an what athlete. are you doing? Like, I'm literally watching the sprinters, like, relax in the on the long jump or on the high jump mats do like you know five block starts and call it a day you're like i'm, I'm like i'm on my 13th 300 over here it's all good 
Yeah. I'm like, run for 11, 10, 11 seconds, and they're still breathing through their nose. Yeah, and they're just yeah. like, what do you, <laughs> they're done for the what day. What do you do? One of my best friends, Mike Jufri, he was a sprinter. I'm like, what do you do? What did you even do today? He's like, oh, we did some, some tempo 80s. And you're like, fuck, what is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Anyways, so. So funny. You know, dude. like, that's kind of where that all that stuff started. And that was like 2011. And then I just went hook, line, and sinker. And one of my training partners was uh, a good CrossFitter, Bryce Hafso when we still had regionals and regionals was the, yeah. was the carrot on the stick for, for CrossFit for me forever. And as soon as regionals went away, I wasn't, I was almost always like a cusp regionals athlete ish. Um, and then went, right. went and competed on yep. a team a couple times, which was just honestly not super hard, but it was enjoyable training and I never really buckled down to it, um, to like make myself like really commit to try and get there. Sure. Um, probably the best I was, was the year I was in Cairo school and, and I came, I think I would have ended up qualifying if I was still in the, in Canada West, but I was in the Pacific Northwest, which, had, which is a pretty stacked, I mean, the, a lot, all the States are a stacked region comparatively, but I had a good showing that yeah. year and it was super fun. And I was really enjoying just like the broad spectrum of fitness for sure. But what I basically ended up yeah. doing was that I did CrossFit to, I weightlifted to help me be better at golf, mountain biking, ski touring, be fit. And then I found the form of competitive exercise. And I was like, well, now I'm just going to competitive exercise. And that right. was probably it until, I mean, I still do CrossFit. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to the gym at 415 sure. today. But I think it's when you're a busy professional to go in and just, you know, have some go crush some programming for an hour. And, and it's like well put together, turn the brain off. Like I program for other people already. I can't follow my own programming. Yeah. Go in, turn the brain off, sweat, Same. feel good. Samesies. Leave and it's good <laughs> versus I go into my garage to like do some weightlifting and I'm like, ah, I'll ignore the things I'm the worst at. Yeah, for sure. And let's program the things I'm good at. Sumo pulls today. <laughs> so exactly. So so how much of this, as it translates, the the fitness level that you have and had from CrossFit and competing in that, translating that into mountain stuff. Like, what are the things from that that you think are had the most carryover into, especially the type of mountain hunting? Yeah that you do yeah. right because i mean the the energy demands and the fitness demands are obviously very different yep. versus what it takes to to whitetail hunt or i mean like everybody's got their own kind of yeah. needs as it relates to fitness so like with what you do and how you mostly yeah. hunt what were some of those things that were like the biggest carryover aspects of training that worked really well i think honestly the i, I a couple things i think strength jeremy and i did a podcast jeremy meredith um, is one of my mm -hmm. best friends. He owns CrossFit Vernon. He's probably one of the best coaches um, I know in any sport. Uh, he's he's an incredible cat. Um, he's two time CrossFit Games athlete in like the in like the crazy days of CrossFit. Like the he's yeah. got some fun stories, man. About just like yeah, he's got some fun stories. But uh, and then like a, I think nine or ten times regionals athlete. So very very elite. And um, oh, yeah, nice. and he. Uh, Anyway, yeah, if I'm not, won't get down that tangent, but he, so when I started off with that stuff, but him and I talked about it and I think the movement efficiency and strength is the glass of the CrossFit movements that that okay. gave me is like being able to do a pistol squat, being able to kind mm -hmm. of like move, move objects that are moderately heavy, uh, you know, like a heavy pack and you're not, you know, like 
using everything in your body, like I find when I put more into powerlifting, and I'm sure, you know, like Brandon would agree with this, to lift heavy shit, you have to be tight and be able to contract everywhere. And sometimes when you kind of move from like just lifting this like really heavy shit, it takes some time and like to moderate your economy of effort to like, I need this to be tight. I need my core to be tight. I need I need my hamstrings to like not just be like locked on like it's a deadlift all the time, but I need to like be able to contract and relax as we go and to move this 85 pound right. pack, uh, you know, up this up this mountain for X amount of hours and then move it along these ridges down another one up and over another one at the beginning of a, you know, 14, 15 day sheep hunt. There's a lot of that if you're just maximally contracted and you're and you're un yeah and you you don't move overly well it takes a lot more effort and you'll go a lot less mm-hmm. distance and then of course like the mental aspect of it is like the ability to suffer constantly i think that is yeah. a big one um my my background was all endurance events so like just being able to go for a good long time um and then recover with rest so you know you you punch you punch for for 45 minutes or or so up a slope with a heavy pack pack comes off you chill for a second or you lay down with it and then you know you rest for five and you're like here we go again and i think the the belief that you know you can go again because you've recovered is that's like the biggest thing versus put it down i don't think i can get back up you know so on and so forth and as you know with most hunts right like with a hike you get to the top of the mountain and you're like, oh, nice, we're there. Fist bumps, high five, maybe you brought a chilly one to enjoy. And then on the way down, man, you get out a couple ranges back and that's where it ends up going down. You've got a, now a heavy pack to pack out. And that's what we all kind of like. Heavier than you could back there with. <laughs> right? And so yeah. it's, you know, you've got almost, yeah. it's like trying to negative split an 800, right? Like you want to go out and you want to go yeah. out in 56 and then bring it, bring it home in, in 52 versus you know, 52 and then 108 out the back end <laughs> and, uh, and, and having a real hate, hate, hated moment. So, um, it's, uh, it, it, I think it's kind of like, I think that's probably been the biggest thing is like movement efficiency. And then knowing okay. that if I work on my movement efficiency and my quality of movement all year, when I get into these situations in the backcountry, I have all the belief my body can do it. Uh, versus experiencing yeah. something that you've maybe never experienced before. Yeah, sure. So I have two. I have two kind of branches sure. off of that because one because of the type of training that you do. It, do you ever taper it leading into oh, yeah. hunts and and dial back volume and stuff? And then do you are you of the belief because there's there's you know another thing that there's different camps on like I've got the guys that are the really fit hunters that believe you don't need to actually go hike to be effective hiker but then I have the guys that are like you only right. should hike or you know like not only but like Big that needs to be a yeah. massive part of your program yeah so where where do you fall on on those uh, things like well? any like any educated human I don't have a real answer to it it depends <laughs> <laughs> It depends. Bullshit, man. (laughs) This is my whole job. Um, So, you know, like you need to lift, I think you need to lift weights because of all the physiological benefits that come with it. But then you take a guy, uh, I'll take uh, my good friend, uh, Nolan Osborne, who spends, oh, I don't know, north of 200, well, yeah, call it 160 days a year in the field um, on a horse and with a pack, sheep guiding um, out of Terminus in northern BC. 
um, and then his own hunting, you know, he doesn't go spend any time in the gym, but he's really good hiking. And so you get these guys yeah. who are, their kind of specialty is an inch wide and a mile deep. The issue with that is, and, and right. no one will mind me talking about this because I talk about it often, is his body is a fucking wreck. Pardon the F-bomb. It's a wreck. He yeah. is, he's a mess. And that's the reason why. Versus if you take guys who are just in the gym and they don't spend any time rucking, there's actually quite a bit of technique to rucking. Just even what it feels like, how yeah. to hold your upper body, how the fact that you're going to be maybe a little bit more impinged at the hip as you're bringing your hip through flexion, how you need to like not extend right. your low back to get back pump and you're going to miss full hip extension to kind of utilize your glute, how to even walk differently from putting your heel first or like your flat foot down and pulling with your posterior chain versus like putting your toe down and then kind of using your quad and calf a little bit more. And there's ways you can right. modulate it if you think about even something like a rowing machine where you're like fire the damper up to eight and you pull some heavy strokes with a stroke rate of whatever, 20 versus if you have the damper down at three and you're just going to utilize less power, keep the watts the same, but less individual stroke power. Maybe your stroke rate's at 30 and you're going to kind of breathe a little mm. bit more. So even just figuring out the difference for uh, you know, how to hike differently and ruck differently is extremely important. So that being said, you can't just stick in the gym because then you get out there and maybe you're like a, a really good power lifter and you've got a lot of good ability to contract your muscles. You can't just, you can't just power lift 14 days. Like it's just not going to be there, right? Like you won't have right. that base, even if you're doing, because even a long CrossFit workouts, shit, 20 minutes. Like 20 minutes is not going to be right. enough to be fat adapted, to be not eating because it's not like you're coming back to a fridge every night to like refuel. You got to be pretty well fat adapted and get used to eating a little bit, like quite a bit less food. Um, and that's going to be a big thing. So if you have, you know, the ability to cross country ski, hike, road cycle, you don't need to beat the shit out of your body like ultra running. Um, you can really get some really cool stuff done over some long durations and get comfortable being hungry and get comfortable. Like the brain starts to do weird things. Like, like my first ski tour of the year usually ends up being some sort of a debacle and it's like 10 hours of touring and right around that five hour mark, even though I'm kind of used to it from the hiking season, I'm like, everything's in my brain being like, why are you out here? Like, what are you doing? This is a stupid idea. Like, this isn't even mm -hmm. fun. You know, like you could be on your couch and then you kind mm -hmm. of get back, you get through it, call it the type two fun. And you're like, man, when are we doing that again? You know, that's definitely, and that's, I think that's <laughs> right. a big part of it. So then coming kind of around to the, if you just hike side, you're going to be missing a lot of physiological benefits. Like if you don't know how to move your hip, knee, ankle through a full range of motion, if you put yourself in a high top boot um, 200 days a year, don't ever test your ankle mobility, you are going to have knee pain. I'll tell you right now. And that's not good for the longevity. I want to be able to sheep hunt when I'm 60, 65. I don't want to be done when I'm 30 or 35. You know, like that's just not really, that's, I don't think that's very, that's, that's not great. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to be, you know, yeah. in pain and like, oh no, I can't do this awesome opportunity. Like caribou hunt in in newfoundland because uh you know my knees don't work anymore and i hear this a lot that's why i do the podcast right. that i do right is to try and put some shed some light on some of these issues so 
and with a lot of success so far from guys who are like who are legitimate hunting guides who have put a lot of days in for a lot of years and have a lot of these like knee hip and back problems right so there's no good answer right. to that it was pretty long-winded like i usually am um and that's basically it is that you need to do both one helps your body two yeah. helps the sport like that's just all there is to it you can you can have the best fitness in the world um you know like in the gym and then you go mountain bike you need some skills on a mountain bike although rucking isn't as technical right. as mountain biking it's still technical so if you were somebody who had right 90 days to prepare for uh you know like a lifetime a lifetime stone sheep or bighorn hunt or whatever it might be in the mountains you should probably just ruck like you should probably just hike like that's all you should do with varied loads do some linear progression and then taper it off before so for myself right now is all about some intensity and having fun with fitness that's crossfit and building my powerlifting numbers back up um, because I just always feel better when I'm a little stronger. And then come, come kind of like May, I'm really starting to cycle off like any sort of like my powerlifting just goes to more or less like 80% four by four for all the lifts. That's just keep it kind of keep the, gre the, gr the groove greased. And then it's like trail running yep. and I've been trail running for a little bit and then it's, and then it's rucking and then it's just my time in the field and then mountain biking and just having fun and road cycling and stuff like that. That's a really good way that you put it too, as a thinking of it as a sport, because I know a lot of people don't like to think of it that seriously right. in a lot of ways, but if you're going to, cause you know, a lot of times it is just a, like a family sure. tradition, hobby, like just, you know, take it easy, which is great. But if we're talking about how do I actually get the most out of this and it's fitness related, right? You wouldn't talk to somebody who's a basketball player and we expect athletes to train and weightlift now because we know that that makes them Absolutely. better at their sport, right? But you wouldn't expect a guy to be weight training all year long and not touch, touch a basketball until a 100%. week before the season starts. Yes. You know, and, and then yeah. expect to have a good season. And it's the same thing like you were just saying, treating it like a sport and the technique of like, yeah, you need to train and be strong and do all this so you can recover. But the the hiking is the sport. And so like you have to go practice that because there is actual, like you said, technique to learn. You can't just like hunch over and sludge your way totally. up a mountain and expect to like not be dead right. halfway up. Or and, and because then the second part to that is the recovery piece, which is something that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to, because especially when you get the guys that are like, oh, it's just going to be a big suffer fest. Well, it is. But there are still things you can do to where like in those those breaks, learn how to recover so you can go do it again. It's not like I'm just going to die for 14 days and I'm just going right. to you know, I, none of this is is done very well or in a smart manner. And so I'm just toast. And now that's when injuries and all these other things just and how enjoyable dudes. is that? Like, learn how to take care of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you're not going to actually have any fun no. on that trip. And so learning how, like, the nutrition plays a role in it. Like, you mentioned, like, you, you need to learn how to be comfortable in a, in an extended oh, yeah. period of time being yeah. a little hungry and knowing what that feels like and not letting that derail your entire brain for the rest of the trip, too, and just dwelling on the fact that, oh, right. I'm so hungry. Like, I, I don't have enough food. Right. Like, all this kind of stuff. And then from a physiological standpoint, being fat adapted, like you said, so you don't actually need the food that you think totally. you need in yes. order to do it. I mean, so like there's there's much more of a like a and I really enjoy the aspect of thinking of it like a sport 
because for me having also yes. been an athlete like that makes sense like there, that that means i've got very specific things i know i need to make sure i incorporate throughout the year so when you know quote unquote game time comes like i've done all i can like we're here now and like whatever happens happens but i didn't not do something right. that i should have in the preparation for it maybe next year i learn i can do it better ways because of, of how course. the hunt ended up or some things that i i noticed but that's part of just tooling and yep. retooling a program but I know going into it, I'm going to be like, okay, well, I did all my training. I've, I'm feeling really good. Like I've trained with the pack. I, I, you know, I've done my scouting, all these parts of it. If you treat it like that, like it's more than anything else, it's just oh, going to yeah. be more fun. You know what I mean? Cause you're not going to be stressed about like, oh, I didn't do this. I don't know how right. this is going to go. And especially you unless know? you are like a, you know, a mountain guide and spend so much time in the backcountry, it's very often, it's very often preparing for the unknown. And if everything goes amazingly, this is great. You know, if you kill something and it's close to camp or your flying spot, and this is wonderful, but if it's the unknown and like, it's not uncommon to get a snowstorm in the, in like the August 1st when you're sheep hunting and to be like socked in and have shit weather. Yeah. And now you're like, well, now you're moving through snow, which is harder. Well, or like a couple years ago, we were in like 33 degree heat with no water. Now you're caught, you're literally dehydrated for two weeks. Like there I'm dropping 500 meters of vert just to get back to water. You can only do that so many times before you're like, I'm physically completely dicked. Like there's no way I'm moving forward from this. And you know, you start to yeah. learn about these different things. And I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine not having the like, mental toughness, physical fitness, and I'm not the toughest and I'm not the fittest, but I, I come with a set of, I come with some sort of background in that. And, you know, like I couldn't imagine, and I still had a good time, but versus, you know, to put it in perspective, I talked to a couple guys, we bumped into a couple guys uh, coming out of sheep hunting this year, and they do it every like six years because they get so trashed. It takes them years to even mentally recover. And I'm like, no, wow. like, like I could, I could go again with a two day reset, you know, like that's where I want my fitness to be. Right. Um, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be such a factor that I'm like borderline punching the SOS right. button to get out. So, like, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the other thing too, in that, in, especially in that type of stuff in, in the, the Northwest, the sheep country, the goat country, like all those things up there, that is I mean, literal life yeah. or death stuff. So you better be at least feeling competent in your own abilities. Otherwise, don't risk it. No animals you know, like, I'm, like Flat out, yeah. don't go back there. If you're, yeah, exactly, exactly. There's so much that uh, needs to be accounted for in those scenarios that guys coming from, you know, not and, and I, I, I feel like every time I always bring up whitetail hunters, it's always seems degrading it's never that but like it's totally different than having to sit in a in a stand or in a yep. saddle for like 10 straight hours which i think sounds I couldn't do incredibly it. difficult sitting yeah sounds incredibly difficult but like the yes. just the demands are different and so you got to account for all of those things in order to be to prepare yep. for it and that's all it yeah, is exactly right and, and you know so. yeah it's 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 so it's also so fun to think about it from having the athletic background and obviously the, like the SNC background and, and the, the world I still live in now, um, in the clinic, it's, it fills a void of competing, like, you know, and it's not just the mountain hunting. Yeah. I look forward to the whole year 
of building and sharpening the stone, like, you know, sharpening the ax a little sharper and, and, you know, dialing everything in a little bit more and, and tweaking the setup and, and this, that, and the other thing. Like I do look at it as like a, a year long pursuit that I also get to focus on, you know, the other things I love, you know, skiing, like ski, skiing, backcountry, snowboarding, whatever, and then, and then mountain biking and, and so yeah. on and so forth. And, and then obviously just, you, you know, you get to shoot a few guns and I shoot my bow every day. It's a pretty good life, you know, like it's, 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 it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I, I think you can just think about it that way. And if you think about it, start to think about it that way, it'll also attract a lot of people from, a lot of different sports and that's where you're seeing now. Like, I don't know if you've caught, um, uh, river with Eric Jackson, the Sitka film. If you've seen that yet, no, it, it's cool. No, and haven't. it's a similar story, right? Like he's like a kind of a adult onset hunter. Um, uh, but he's a professional snowboarder and kind of the same thing. And, and you're starting to attract people from climbing and mountain biking and, and, you know, skiing, you know, everything into this like backcountry pursuit of, of animals. Right. And it's super hard and it's rarely successful. Um, but somehow we all gravitate towards it and we love it. And if you can also put some, the, the fitness and the, and the, 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 the physiological aspects along with it, it, there is a sports science kind of attraction to it. Right. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's, I think it's super cool. (laughs) Yeah, it absolutely is. Man, that Shit, went that flew hour. by. Holy cow. Oh. Uh <laughs> I feel like we just started. Uh I know, tell me about it. We could probably oh, do man, a part I'd 2 here to. soon and we should. Um because there's a lot of stuff that I still want to totally. uh, to get into at some point, but Dude. thank you man for making the time. Yes. I'm glad we were finally able yes. to get it on the schedule and I'm super pumped to yes. see you in a couple of months. Uh why don't you why don't you plug all the stuff for the show and all your all your things, so people can follow along. Yeah, yeah, with, sounds, you know, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I was actually one of the next questions I was going to ask. I was like, "Am I going to see your your beautiful beard at, at Winter Strong this year?" So I, you already kind of answered that. So that's good. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'll yeah, be there yeah, as long yeah, as, as, as long it's a as, thing. Uh, that's going to be my my yearly February so. pilgrimage. I think it's definitely going to be like just this <laughs> thing that's just like on repeat in my calendar every year. So um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, exactly. You can find us at, at uh, you can find me and my own personal um, Instagram channel is how a lot of people get a hold of me. It's at Dr. Matt Ward uh, DC on Instagram. That's that's one of the best ways. That's how I answer a lot of questions as far as, um, you know, like anything to do health and fitness and wellness related. If I don't have the answer, uh, I usually try and send people in the right direction. Uh, I know people all over the United States for for treatment and fitness and all sorts of stuff. So I, I, I tend to, to be a pretty good uh, middleman for some of that stuff. And then... You can find us at Beyond the Kill. Um, you can just type that in. It's out of the podcast. And then I run the Quick and Dirty segment, which is basically a short-form podcast, anywhere from like 8 to 12 minutes. Um, and I kind of just like rip through whatever topics I'm seeing from people who have asked questions, whatever um, you know things I'm seeing commonly in the clinic, uh, debunking some myths why like you know things why like stop stretching your hamstrings because they're not that they're not the issue. Um, so. You know, and hopefully breaking down a few things like that and making it accessible. I've been able to re- touch like a lot of different people with that, like from the Netherlands to New Zealand to all over the place. So I'm like super thrilled. Um, yeah, that's awesome. and that's all such a passion project of mine. Um, and then obviously to be on the kill on the website, we have so much fitness content, man. Like we have a we put out a workout a day 
for for the year and it if you it's zero zero dollars free and it falls along if you start with us in <clears throat> we started in february but if you go now it's definitely much more like kind of a little bit a little bit more on the crossfit style of things but we periodize jeremy periodizes sure. the entire year to focus into basically september october so like obviously it's got to be plug and played nice. if you're like gonna hit like a you know if you're like July twenty eighth you're sheep hunting for you're you're up in for stones or something sure. but nonetheless like it's gonna put you into the best stop spot possible and I don't see currently a lot of people in the industry doing a periodization a twelve month periodization for mountain hunting it's just like fitness and that's yeah. great because it's a good bottom line. But it's not just like high fitness and then rock, you know, like obviously that works, but I think we can build good GPP around it. So you can check us out on there too. Awesome. Well, thank you again, yes. brother. I'm excited to see you soon. Cheers, man. And, Thanks so much. Uh, have a good one.